This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Place for a Purpose podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. Episode one. Episode one. Let's Here go. we go. All right. So to kick it off, I thought we would do something fun. thought we'd play a little game. Okay, I'm here for and it. And let's do some family feud. We're family. Are yeah. we feuding? I, not yet, but you never know. We'll see how this episode unfolds. Okay, we can feud. So we surveyed 100 people, give or take a few. Okay, give uh, or take 98. And we asked, why is it so hard to get to know your neighbors? All right, we're going to put the top five answers on the board, and I'm going to let you buzz in if you want to try to answer. Okay, I'm not using sound effects because we don't have sound effects, okay, that's but fine. I think some people have the thought that they won't like their neighbors. Not that I've ever thought that. I'm not going to like my neighbors. Yeah. Is that up there? Ding! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going along with that, I'll have nothing in common with them. What about I don't have enough time? Like, I have a busy schedule. Life is full. I can't fit anything more in. Yeah, there's also that it's awkward. And lastly, and this is kind of a double-sided coin, but it's the idea that either they don't need anyone or, I think this one's worse, maybe they'll be too needy. What if I get to know my neighbors and they do need me? What if I want to take my groceries in and they want to have a 30-minute conversation with me and I can't get out of it? And then I'm out. And so those are just a few of them. I mean, if we're honest, there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to get to know our neighbors. So this is kind of a negative beginning, honey. <laughs> a little, it kind of went that way, didn't it? Wah, wah. I think we need to address these things from the beginning because they are, all of these reasons and others are running in the back of our minds. They're like keeping us from getting started. Or if we do kind of get started, we hit these obstacles and it's hard to continue on to stay engaged in the process of getting to know our neighbors. So today, I want us to talk about something that has helped us overcome some of these obstacles, because we feel these, we've felt these in the past, and that is living out of God's redemptive story instead of a cultural story of what it means to be a good neighbor. And so we're going to compare and contrast these two stories, because the story we live out of will dictate and shape the kind of neighbors we are, how we show up in our neighborhoods. And sometimes when we talk about the big picture of neighboring, I think people just want to get to the practical. It's like, wait, let's just skip this one. Give me the neighboring manual. I don't want to talk big picture because that's not really going to relate. And it's like, no, the big picture does relate. The yeah. big picture shows up in how we feel about neighboring and the choices that we make. So to get started, let's talk about the cultural story. And there are some strong currents at work here in this story that are pulling us away from our neighbors. You could think of it as a river with this strong current. It is so much easier to just go with it than to move against it. And we just went on a float trip with some good friends, and we were floating in our life jackets. I got out. My kids were trying to get me to get into the river. 
And so I did. And the raft started going ahead. You guys started going ahead of me. And I didn't want you to do this, but you pulled over, they pulled over the boat into this area to wait for me. And in order to get out, the water was super, super shallow, but it was also really rocky. And I was just trying to stand up. I mean, I wasn't even trying to swim upstream. I was just trying to stand and I got really hurt. I got like a massive bruise on my behind. It hurt. I don't know if that's coming through. And like I said, I wasn't even trying to swim upstream. To think of actually going against these currents, it's tough. It is hard. So I think we need to understand what are some of the things that are contributing to these currents in the cultural story. One, I think, is just the growing lack of trust in our neighborhoods. There was actually a study done in 2016 that showed 48% of us, so half of us, either don't trust our neighbors at all or barely trust them. And I would wager that that number has probably gone up the last six or seven years. Now, for some of us, there might be a good reason why we don't trust our neighbors. I remember we were part of this neighboring working group, and we heard a story from someone else outside of the group say that they had their neighbor slash their tires because of a political yard sign that they had in their front yard. That's crazy. So good reason maybe not to trust your neighbor. But for most of us, I think we don't trust our neighbors because we just don't know them. And so then it's very easy to become suspicious and it's very tough to believe the best. We instantly assume the worst and we're suspicious of them. So along with this lack of trust is also this cultural definition of what it means to be a good neighbor today. There was a book written by Dr. Olds and Schwartz. It was called Lonely American. And in it, they highlighted that 70 years ago, to be a good neighbor meant that you knew your neighbors. You could introduce the new neighbors to the current neighbors, that you could rely on your next door neighbors in times of need. You could borrow the proverbial cup of sugar. Yard Um, tools or have them watch your kids or you bring over cookies or a pie. There was actually like this social fabric. There was a community that was there because of the relationships. But today they've noticed that the definition of what it means to be a good neighbor culturally has drastically changed. It's not those things anymore. They mentioned keeping the music down, taking the trash out on Tuesdays or whenever it is, and basically minding your own business. So instead of being a good neighbor was about your relationships and those connections, really basically what they're saying is that being a good neighbor today is leaving your neighbor alone. Yeah. So think about this. If that's the definition of what it means to be a good neighbor, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. And it could even feel wrong to take a step towards your next door neighbor to go against those currents. And lastly, I think we're just really busy and we have a lot of things going on that compete for our time and attention. And those things tire us out. And sometimes we just want to come home and we just want to pull into the driveway and walk right inside. Or we want to just stay on our phones as we walk up the stairs and into our apartments. Which isn't all bad. It's not all bad. Right, because we need our homes to be places of rest where we can recharge. But I think it's expanding our views of our homes as just simply being a place of retreat to also being a place where God calls us to engage in some ways. And I think another obstacle is that we just don't know how to have relationships with people who are different from us. We don't know how to find common ground, and we're going to talk about that in a few episodes. But in our neighborhood, 
there are a lot of people who come from a lot of different perspectives. And if we don't know how to find common ground, we can quit before we even get started. Yeah, I remember reading in Mark Dunkelman's book, The Vanishing Neighbor, about the struggle to find common ground with our neighbors who are different from us and how technology has actually played a role in this cultural current. And so he was using the example of sports. And so let's say, you know, I live in the 60s or the 70s and I'm in Boston and I'm a huge Boston Red Sox fan. I moved to New York where there's New York Yankee fans. So Boston, the Red Sox and the Yankees are bitter rivals. So if I wanted to talk baseball at that time, I probably would have had to talk baseball with my next door neighbor who was a Yankees fan. And that'd be awful, (laughs) but I'd at least get to talk baseball and we'd probably have to figure it out. We'd banter back and forth. And if his team won that week, I'd be all bitter, but I'd still have to see him when I took the trash out. So there'd be a relational connection there through baseball and through mutual need for each other. But now with the phone, we talk about our phones a lot. Our phones, especially the iPhone, has negated the need for neighbors in a sense. And Dunkelman talks about how we have these relational rings, so to speak, and how the inner ring consists of our friends and family. And because of technology, we're able to keep up with those relationships in ways that are better than ever before. And then we have our outer ring, which can be our acquaintances and even like affinity groups, like you were saying earlier with the baseball, politics, whatever it is. And then the middle ring, our neighbors, he kind of says that ring has been not eliminated, but eliminated, so to speak. Yeah, there's no really need for it. Like if I move, I can keep up with all my friends and family through my phone, that inner ring, which is good. It's okay. And then I can find people who think the same way I do and are interested in the same things through Facebook and all these things. So I don't need my neighbors. And that's where he draws some connections about even more the polarization. Like these are reasons for our culture, some of the tribalism. So along with the lack of trust, even if it's subconscious, there's also just this awkwardness now. Like, what would we even have in common with these people? Why should I try to get to know my neighbors? Yeah, these currents are strong. Or even we think I'm only here for a season, or on the flip side, I've been here too long. Maybe I met the neighbors years ago, but I don't want to have to reintroduce myself. I can't remember their names. What am I going to have to do? Go up and say, hi, I'm Elizabeth. We've lived here for five years now. Remind me your name. I mean, that's humbling. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of our neighborhood when we moved in about 12 years ago. Our neighborhood was pretty isolated and independent. I mean, we came out that first Halloween and walked outside ready to trick or treat. And it was a ghost town. Pun intended. You stole my joke. <laughs> so we did what everybody else did. We went to a different neighborhood to trick or treat. And I get it. There are some neighborhoods where it's harder to trick or treat than not. But like ours has sidewalks and it's prime trick or treating ground. There was zero community and everyone just left. So considering all that we're facing, all these obstacles, it's kind of surprising that we ever took the first step, let yeah. alone hung in there for 10, 12 years. But yeah, I'm so glad we did. 
Yeah, me too, because we've been able to see the impact that it's made. We've sought the common good of our neighborhood together with our neighbors. We've seen people drawn out of isolation into community, and we've seen just the social fabric of our neighborhood strengthen and built relationships of trust that have sustained some of these deeper conversations, spiritual conversations even. And we've seen people reconsider Jesus and begin following him for the very first time. And it hasn't been a cut and paste. It hasn't been a one-size-fits-all or a go-save-the-neighborhood or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or kind of shaming ourselves into it. I think it's really just been stepping out of that cultural story and into God's bigger, truer story. Yeah. So let's start there. Let's look at God's bigger story and compare it to the cultural one. And it's helpful if we divide this story into four parts, and we're going to see how it relates specifically to reaching out to our next door neighbors, right? Okay, so chapter one. So I think a lot of times we've heard Genesis 1. We've heard it a lot, but I don't know if we've ever really thought about it in neighboring terms, right? This was the first neighborhood. So two neighbors, God and Adam, lots of pets and plants, great landscaping, and God's creating as he is. He's saying, this is good. This is good. It's good. It's good. But as he goes on, he says in Genesis 2.18 that it wasn't good that man was alone. And so in my mind, that verse kind of begs two questions. One is, how could God declare anything in a sinless world not good? And yet, he does. He says, this isn't good. This is not good here. And then two, how could God say that Adam was alone? The thing that wasn't good was that Adam was supposedly cut off and isolated in some kind of way. But how is that even possible when he had the God of the universe right there with him? There was no sin to inhibit that relationship. And God said there was still a sense in which he was alone. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking back to the song that we all sing in college, You're All I Need. You know it. Oh, I do. I was just waiting to see if you're going to sing a part of it. You're all I need. You're all I've ever wanted. (laughs) This is where you tell me not to sing. (laughs) But yeah, remember singing that song? It was like, no, God's all we need. God's all that we ever need. And yet this is kind of saying, maybe not. Yeah. God is all we need, but he's designed us in a way to need other humans and to belong to other humans. So Adam needed a face-to-face. So right from the start, Adam was seeing that his need for another neighbor, Eve, wasn't a weakness in God's design any more than it was a weakness for the plants to need sunlight in order to live. But this was in his DNA to need other people and be in relationships with other neighbors. So it's not good to be alone. It's kind of crazy to think about this, but basically the first thing that God ever declared not good was loneliness. Yeah, exactly. And I know you love research. I do. Research shows that given the choice, I know a lot of people probably heard this stat by now, but it still blows me away every time I think about it. Given the choice between prolonged loneliness and smoking 15 cigarettes a day, we should choose the cigarettes because loneliness is actually harder on our physical health. That's crazy to think about. It kind of makes me wonder what happens if you are lonely and you're smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Are you lonely? Are you smoking 15 cigarettes a day? 
No, but I think that that's just so stunning because we know how bad cigarettes are for your health. And what they're saying is that feeling of loneliness, of being cut off, is harder on your body, not just on how you feel and your emotional state, but like all of who you are, that too, but all of who you are, your physical body, it impacts it on a physical level. Yeah. So thinking back to this first neighborhood, it was something that none of us have ever experienced. It was a place of safety, of belonging that our neighborhoods are not now. Our neighborhoods now, we have gossip and theft and building code violations and bad blood and next door drama and all that kind of stuff. But thinking back to Adam and Eve and God in that first neighborhood, they got to experience a neighborhood the way it was meant to be. Yeah. And the reason we do have all that stuff going on in our neighborhoods is because of chapter two, right? That there was neighborhood discord. And unfortunately, we know because we experience it, that first neighborhood, things took a turn for the worst. And they ate from the tree that God had commanded them not to. They could eat from any tree, but they decided to trust in themselves rather than God. And things fell apart when they did that. And not only did they lose their future eternity with God, but their relationships with each other broke, too. So they lost Eden. They lost the first neighborhood, the way it was meant to be, the vulnerability and belonging and freedom to not have to worry ever about fear, or rejection, or harm. But not only had they lost the first neighborhood, now they gained a new neighborhood that was honestly devastating. Those are our neighborhoods now. Now we have conflict. Now we have misunderstandings and fear and shame and all of that. Yeah, we're self-conscious. We're insecure. We feel either exposed or invisible. We form alliances in the neighborhood. We want to be in and not out. We've talked about this, but we're suspicious. We can be self-reliant and we feel this in every neighborhood. There's no neighborhood that escapes chapter two. Well, thankfully, chapter three, God didn't leave us alone. He didn't live out of a cultural (laughs) story of being a good neighbor, but he moved towards us. That's a theme throughout the entire story of scriptures. God's constantly moving towards us, moving towards his people. And even in the garden, you saw him move towards Adam and Eve. And most notably, he moved towards us in the person of Jesus. He came and became a neighbor to us so that we could go be a neighbor to others. He loved us so that we could love our neighbors. He wants our neighbors to experience his love through us. And he placed us in our neighborhoods. He's placed us for a purpose. Paul says- How did I know you were going to say that? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Paul reminds us of that in Acts 14, where he says, he being God marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And basically what Paul is saying is that our address is not an accident and neither is our neighbors. So one day Jesus is going to come and make all things new. But until that time, we're in chapter three. And that means in our little neighborhoods, we get to join with him in pushing back against chapter two, against the effects of sin and the fall in our neighborhoods. So what do you mean by pushing back, like pushing back against sin? What does that look like practically? Yeah, I think it could be as simple as starting with putting our phones away and making eye contact. It's like pushing back against those cultural currents. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's standing up, even if we get a little bruise on our bum bums (laughs) and pushing back against the current, walking against the current that says, leave your neighbors alone, that says, don't trust your neighbors, that says we're better off without our neighbors. We're fine. They're fine. We're fine. fine. They're fine. Right. Yeah. And so we talk about this, but because of the cultural currents are so strong, we need those simple steps. It can, you know, as simple as saying hi waving, introducing yourself, even though that might not feel so simple in the moment, it's still a step that we can take. Or maybe it's picking up trash or starting a community garden or hosting a little fish fry in your driveway. How about helping a neighbor look for their lost dog? I think you've done that a few times, Done that a few times, yep. And it could be inviting a neighbor to a Bible study or a book discussion or church as you've built those relationships and you sense that spiritual openness. Overall, it's just looking for opportunities to weaken the effects of sin and see God's kingdom come more and more to our neighborhoods. I think it also could mean praying for our neighbors. That's a really great, simple step that we can take to help see God's kingdom come more and more. Actually, here's a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So what if God in this moment right now decided to answer all the prayers you've ever prayed for your neighbors? What would change? Go. You said we were not going to guilt and shame people. (laughs) Well, maybe a little. You're guilting and shaming me in this moment. But thinking back to before we moved into our house now, the condo that we lived in, and we just had Ginger and Pearl, and our nursery for them where they slept, that room shared a wall with our next door neighbors, who, by the way, were the petting zoo neighbors. And that's an episode for a different day because they did not have children. And that's an awkward story. So every night as I was putting down Ginger and Pearl, it was like, sharing a wall with a nightclub. I'm trying to put the girls down, the babies down. It's like, and I'm like, if God were to answer every prayer in that moment, these people would have moved to Minnesota or I don't know where. Away. Yeah. Pray the neighbors away. I was not reading the neighboring book. I was not listening to the neighboring podcast. There were no prayers. I hate to say it. It makes me sad to say it. It makes me think like just based on all the things we've seen God do in our neighborhood, what if we had had that perspective in that condo? I mean, we were there for two or three. Five years. We were there for five years. It just makes me wonder who we would have built a relationship and what opportunities could have come to strengthen the social fabric of that little neighborhood. It's a little transient, but it could have been really cool. Well, and thinking if we had kept that perspective, if God hadn't pulled us out of the cultural story into our new neighborhood, we wouldn't have experienced all that we have. And we never would have known it because we wouldn't know what we wouldn't know. So the final chapter, Neighborhoods Made Right, this is where as Christians, we believe that Jesus is going to return and he's going to renew and restore every single square inch of every single neighborhood, that everything sad is going to be reversed. I mean, can you imagine our neighborhood being completely made new? I mean, it's amazing to think about. I mean, I long for that. I love our neighborhood and our neighbors. So to think of getting to live in a neighborhood without the effects of sin is really, ugh. No conflict. No conflict. No injustice. No posturing. No entitlement. Relationships. No No loneliness. Loneliness and isolation. Yeah. I think it's important to remember this last chapter because that's where we're headed. And so if that's where we're headed, why not bring some of that into where we are right now? Chapter three. Chapter three and point and say, hey, 
Look at this time of connecting. This is where we're headed. Be a part of this. So this week, let's remember when we're tempted to not make eye contact with a neighbor because we have things to do inside and just to leave them alone, to not do that, not leave our neighbors alone, whether it's just smile or say hello, but to take some step to move toward them in some small way so that we can live out of God's bigger story. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Mm -hmm.